this is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. ReachingTheFinishLine.com Welcome, and today I am delighted to have Scott Crabtree. Scott is the founder and chief happiness officer at Happy Brain Science. He empowers individuals and organizations to apply findings from cutting-edge neuroscience and psychology to to, to boost productivity and happiness at work. Uh, Some of his clients were Microsoft, Boeing, Nike, DreamWorks. Uh, You can find them in uh, publications like Fast Company, Fortune, uh, VentureBeat. But I'm so delighted to have him on because I think, you know, some of these uh, discoveries that he's found in neuroscience psychology can really help you to be able to reach your finish line. So, Scott, welcome. Thank you so much, Callan. I'm super excited to be here with you. Great. So a lot of people, you know, they hear a lot of the self-help, you know, talk, the personal development talk. But one thing that's different about you is it's not so much of that. It is, it is a portion of that. But you really get into the cutting edge neuroscience and psychology of it. So perhaps you can share about how you got interested in happy brain science. How did that come about? I'd be delighted to. So Long story, I'll try to keep somewhat short. I was a cognitive science major when I went to Vassar College, so that was the multidisciplinary study of the mind and thinking. So I've been really enthralled with brains and what makes us tick and not tick so well between the ears for a long time. Cognitive science got me into artificial intelligence, which got me into video games, which got me into Intel, and I was getting pretty far away from all that brain science stuff focused on software and technology. And then about a decade ago, really by random luck, I discovered that there was a science of happiness. Found a book called The How of Happiness by Sonia Lubomirsky, and on the back of it was a review from a Harvard professor that said, unlike all the self-help books and all the other books on happiness, this book is based on experimental data and research and will really work. And I thought, wow, hard science of happiness? I want this. So I bought that book, read that book, and thought it was one of the most amazing things I had ever found in my life. Mm. A real solid peer-reviewed science of choices we can make to make ourselves happier. I wanted to do that and be that because the science is clear that happiness brings a lot of benefit. Fundamentally, our brains work better when they're happier. We are more creative. We're more energetic. We work better with other people. We're even more productive and healthier when we're happy. So I finished reading this book on the science of happiness and thought, I want to do this. I want to be this. I want to live and breathe this science of happiness. And about four seconds later, I thought, you're not going to do that, Scott. If you're not careful, you're going to forget 90% of this in a few months, the way we forget 90% of a lot of things in a few months. Mm. So I thought, how can I not forget this amazing science? And what came to mind for me is if you really want to learn something, you should teach it. So I volunteered on the side of my job at Intel to give talks with titles like The Science of Happiness in Software Development. And conferences said, yes, please. And I said, great, I will go and read and learn everything I can about the science of happiness. 
distill it down into the thing, the practical things that people can do at work to improve their happiness and therefore their performance. I gave those presentations and it was a career highlight experience for me. Both the feeling of helping people and the feedback I got was amazing. And that began the journey that ultimately led to me quitting Intel and founding Happy Brain Science and doing this work full time. Great, great. So uh, in your case, you kind of make that transition and where you was kind of a, an executive at Intel and then, uh, you know, uh, Happy Brain Science was in the background. But uh, at you came to a point where you felt that it made sense and you was able to start that. Now, uh, also you said that you had a, you have a background in cognitive science, which is, which is very important, which kind of definitely aided you to be able to have more success with happy brain science. I think one thing that a lot of, uh, aspiring and struggling entrepreneurs face is when it comes to their marketing strategy. Okay, now for yourself, use with Intel. Yeah. I'm quite sure you had some connections there. You know, you had yeah. some, yeah, you had some past relationships, so that definitely helped you. That definitely aided you, and probably to achieve success much faster as a, compared to someone who who didn't have any connections. What would you suggest for a person, aspiring, struggling entrepreneur? You know, when it comes to marketing nowadays, you do have you do have social media. But a lot of people feel that it's crowded because everyone is posting stuff, yeah. and with the whole algorithm, yeah. with the whole algorithms, some people never actually read people's posts because it's so crowded with all these other posts. What would yeah. be a marketing strategy that you would impart on to a person, you know, that has no prior connections? Great question, Callan. My, my three favorite words for marketing are net promoter score. So as you likely know net promoter score is a measurement of word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Basically the way net promoter score works, everybody can look this up if they're interested in the details, but smarter people than me at Bain Consulting, I believe, came up with net promoter score. You simply ask somebody who you are serving, a customer or whatever, how likely are you to recommend me, my service, my program? In my case, I asked, how likely are you to recommend a workshop like the one I'm doing? to a friend or colleague. And essentially, if you get a 9 or a 10 out of a 10-point scale, it indicates that you have an active promoter, somebody who's going to actively spread the word about you, tell people about this awesome book about reaching the finish line or this awesome workshop about science of happiness. So I thought this was critical because, in all honesty, I really hate doing sales. And I don't have much of a bigger appetite for marketing. I do do some marketing like you describe, newsletters, social media, etc. But the reality is that 99% of my business comes through word of mouth. And so my advice for people is if you, if you are good enough to get excellent word of mouth, you don't need excellent marketing. Word of mouth is going to bring business to you if you're good enough. Now, there's a bit of a catch-22 there. You have to have some place to start. But I started by doing my talks for free uh, because I really had no idea that I would end up doing this for a living. I just wanted to learn the science and share the science. But by doing work for free, I earned loyal customers, so to speak, who were spreading the word about me. And soon I had people asking if I could come to their companies for money and give a workshop like that. And that's when I thought, wow, I could make a living doing this. Interesting. So so perhaps would you suggest 
doing pro bono work for like nonprofit organizations could actually be a good foot in the door? Exactly. I, I you have to have passion for what you're doing, as you know, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't have passion for what you're doing, you're going to resent giving away work for free. Mm-hmm. But if you absolutely love what you're doing, which I do, then it's fun to do it for free. And I'm delighted to help a nonprofit or a, a civic group like a Rotary Club or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you love what you do, you're happy to help a nonprofit for free. And then you're in a legitimate position to ask that nonprofit or whoever you did free work for, for testimonials, introductions to other people who might want to hire you. I think word of mouth, doing great work and earning really strong word of mouth is by far the best, mar- best marketing you can do. Great. Let's kind of delve in into your background and also your more so your scientific discoveries when it comes to neuroscience, when it comes to psychology. As stated earlier in the broadcast, I feel like most people, you know, they know about Tony Robbins. They know about all the self-help gurus. The thing I like about what you're doing is you actually bring the science into the equation to make sense of it all. Perhaps you could share, um, you know, you know, some um, some study or some discoveries that you found that actually can uh, help people to make a difference in their lives. Wonderful. Yes, I'm really, as I say to virtually every audience I have, I am trying to give people as little of my opinion as possible because I think science is a stronger way of coming up with the right ways forward for people. So I can tell you my opinion based on my experience, and please don't let me uh, miscommunicate here. Lots of people, people's opinions are enormously helpful and enormously valuable. Personally, I think opinions are great, and opinions can be wrong. Now, of course, science is imperfect, and science can be wrong too, but if science is done well with peer review and duplication of results and placebo control and all the stuff that makes good science good science, then I think science is a stronger, more solid indicator of the right ways forward for people. So getting into a few specifics, let me tell you how I organize a Science of Happiness workshop for people. There are four themes, and there are lots and lots of ideas in these themes. This is typically a half-day workshop. But to give you a sense of what science is suggesting will help us be happier, the four themes I use are soothe stress, practice positivity, flow to goals, and prioritize people. Mm-hmm. So let me briefly explain those. Soothe stress because fundamentally stressed out brains don't work as well in most circumstances at work, for example. If you're stressed out, you're getting into the fight or flight response, your brain figuratively shrinks so that you see only three solutions to problems, fight, run, or freeze, none of which are terribly helpful in the office. So soothe stress is about viewing stress as a helpful energizing force so that it helps you perform better rather than gets you into fight or flight. And if that doesn't work as completely as we would like, then the key according to science is to cope effectively with things like physical exercise, social support, that is talking with a friend, and things like mindfulness. So practice positivity is, to be really blunt, a bunch of cliche at stuff about attitude that people have heard before. So why do I include it? Because we hear a lot about happiness. If you watch TV for an afternoon, you might hear that happiness comes from a soda, a car, a prescription drug, and various other things. 
science can help us sort out what really works when it comes to happiness. And science says a bunch of that stuff that may sound a little cheesy, look on the bright side, have a good attitude, be optimistic, be positive about others, really works to make you happy. I just want to take a moment to tell you about DreamHost. DreamHost.com is the award-winning web hosting service rated by PC Magazine. With their current rates and positive reviews, I couldn't think of a better company to recommend. You can get $10 off a one-year hosting plan or $25 off a two-year hosting plan when you use the promo code Kallen, K-A-L-L-E-N. DreamHost.com, PC's Magazine, best web hosting service. Flow to Goals is about the importance of progress towards clear and meaningful goals and getting into the zone, the focused zone that psychologists call flow and staying in it as long as possible in part by minimizing multitasking, which long scientific story short, science says, makes us stupid and miserable. And last and certainly not least is prioritize people. Basically, if you had to boil all the science of happiness down to one word, we don't have to, and there's much more to it than that. But if we had to, that single word might be social. We are social creatures, and a lot of our happiness or unhappiness comes from the quality of our relationships with other people. So I always tell people, if you don't remember anything else I say, please remember this. Warm relationships fuel happiness. Mm. like that. And talk about... uh your uh, experience with Nike and Microsoft, because I see those were some of your previous clients. What were their challenges and how did you help them overcome? The issues that Nike and Microsoft and some other companies have, they really tend to be common across a lot of the organizations where people work. Mm -hmm. Basically, almost everybody, I'm sure you're hearing this a lot as you talk with people, everyone is being asked to do more with less. We're being driven for more and more results, less and less time, do more and more. Meanwhile, the world is just dumping information on us, right? Mm -hmm. So in a typical day, you're getting lots of emails, plus tweets, plus instant message requests, plus phone calls, plus. So it gets overwhelming and stressful. And we can all, whether we work at Microsoft or Nike or a video game company or nonprofits I work with, everyone seems to struggle with I have so much to do. I get stressed out. I don't have time to connect with my colleagues in a meaningful way. I'm constantly interrupted. I just feel like I'm constantly playing catch up and it's stressful and I end up unhappy. The beautiful thing about happiness to me is that happiness is win-win. That is, if I or an excellent book or anything else can teach someone to be happier, their life improves and their output improves. So some of it is counterintuitive. You know, I got so results-oriented at one point in my career, I really stopped having any kind of personal conversations with people in the office. I was like, I don't have time for this. I got so much I got to get done. Results, results, results. Mm -hmm. And now I see that that, if you you take that too far, it becomes counterproductive. Now, results orientation is fantastic, but human connection fuels happiness really well and happiness brings prime brain real estate online so we do better work because we're happier so a lot of organizations really need a shift in the culture from being too busy and too results 
driven into being a little more relationship focused, happiness focused, which ultimately boosts the bottom line. Great. And uh, you said something earlier, um, Scott, you was talking about how uh, the best way to learn something is to teach something. Now, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, nuggets of advice that's typically debated a lot. And I think that's one of them that is. is. Um, Now, let's, would you suggest that that could be good for a person who's offering something for free, like pro bono? Or will you think that's just okay uh, to do that and charge someone for it? Because I feel like there's so many gurus, there's so many experts online, but, uh, but you know, really it takes a person's credibility uh, to really uh, persuade someone to do business with them. So, as, so going back to the question, as you said, um, to uh, to to learn something, uh, if you want to learn something well, you must teach it. Uh, will you only advise that for people who are who are willing to like offer their uh, price and service for free for like a, a civic organization or nonprofit, or would you say that you know it's it's actually it's okay to um, charge for it, but in a sense that you're only selling what you know to someone who doesn't doesn't know at all. So I think it's great for anybody to charge as much as they can at any time. And I don't mean in a greedy way, but I mean in a charging what you're worth kind of way. So I think some people need to give away work for free early, early on in their careers in order to get those first few customers who start spreading the word about you, for example. But I think to be blunt, a lot of people undercharge as consultants, teachers, etc. cetera. Uh, I think we need to charge not based on time, but based on the value we deliver. So if, if you want more on this or your listeners or readers want more on this, uh, Alan Weiss is a leading expert on charging what you're worth and charging by value and not time. And it was one of his books, Million Dollar Speaking, that really convinced me you, it's okay to charge what you're worth. And solid science suggests that if you boost somebody's happiness, you boost their productivity 10 to 25% or even more depending on who the person is, what, what work they're doing, etc. So let's be really conservative and say, I only make a difference for one person in an organization. If I, let's also be really conservative and say, I only improve their productivity 10% by teaching them to make themselves happier. Mm-hmm. Well, what value are they delivering in a year? A lot of value. I'm not going to use numbers here, but people can imagine somebody's salary and the value they're delivering must be higher than the salary and benefits they're receiving. So what's 10% of that? That's a significant fee. So I can charge a significant fee and be very confident that I'm delivering way more value than that because I'm being very conservative about the productivity boost people gain and being extremely conservative by saying, let's just suppose I only make a difference for one person. I'm in fact going to make a difference for everyone in my audience and that's huge value and it's okay to charge for that value. Interesting, Scott. So let's talk about the spectrum because I feel like there's a spectrum like how much you're worth as opposed to what's affordable to your target audience. And I feel yeah. like a lot of struggling entrepreneurs, they have that problem because they say, well, I'm worth this, which may be, who knows, $5,000 maybe for yeah. a month session or whatever. But at the same time, they have a hard time attracting clients because you know, I guess maybe their ideal target, target market 
they're not going to pay $5,000. Perhaps when there is other options that are cheaper. So what would you say in that spectrum as far as, you know, what you're worth as opposed to what's affordable to your target audience? How do you make sense of that? Uh, excellent question. And you bring up several realities that people have to deal with. If you can be replaced by somebody else at lower cost, you probably will get replaced by somebody else at lower cost. It depends, of course, on the business you're in. In my business, I'm primarily giving talks and workshops. And so in that case, the highest cost is not my fee. The highest cost is the time and money you're spending on the people sitting in the room with me for an hour or half a day or full day workshop. If 30 executives are sitting in a room with me all day, the amount the organization is paying them to be there is enormous. It dwarfs any fee I have. Mm-hmm. In scenarios like that, quality of the presenter matters much more than fee of the presenter. Mm-hmm. So it, everything is context dependent, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, can I charge a high fee at a small nonprofit that doesn't have the cash? Of course not. Mm-hmm. I have steep discounts for nonprofits because I like helping nonprofits, and I'm not doing this to get rich. Despite our talk about the money, money to me just equals the ability to continue to do the work I love. So I'd like to, I like charging uh, what I'm worth or uh, even a small fraction of what I'm worth and getting well paid. I love that. But I completely understand there are circumstances and situations where people just don't have that budget. And then you have to decide, is it worth taking a lower fee engagement in order to pursue your cause, improve, build your network, or would you be better off not taking that because of the opportunity cost? If you're working with one client for little or no money, you can't be doing all the other things you need to be doing. So there are no easy answers about this. There are no simple formulas, but I encourage people to be customer oriented as you just suggested. Think about where they're coming from, what their needs are, what their capabilities are. Charge what you're worth and what people can afford to pay. And if you're really good, you'll be able to raise your rates to closer to the value you're delivering over time. Great. I like how you put that, Scott. Uh, Scott, if people want to follow you, how would they get in touch with you? Well, Twitter is one of my favorite uh, places to be on social media. So I'm Scott Crab on Twitter, and my happy uh, my site is happybrainscience.com. And on happybrainscience.com are a lot of free re- resources for people, including but not limited to a recommended reading list if people want to learn more about the science of happiness. So I have a contact form on my website, happybrainscience.com, or reach me via Twitter. I'm Scott Crab, and I love hearing from people and helping the world be a happier and therefore better place. And I'm all for that. Scott, thank you for being our guest. Thank you so much, Kellen. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist at seen in Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. And for now on our email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.